All right, guys, time to find your seat again. Time to find your seat, guys. We're going to continue worshiping God, actually. Good morning, family. Good to see you guys. The Lord reigns. He's worthy of worship and praise. Today, uh, we're going to finish our time in the Psalms by uh, looking at the final psalm in the collection, Psalm 150. If you have Bibles, uh, grab them, open up your Bible to Psalm 150, please. Uh, The psalmist is closing out the Psalter on the highest note of praise. Uh, After 149 psalms, uh, he's throwing everything at us, including the kitchen sink. All right, so that's how you need to understand what's happening in this passage. He's He's literally inviting you and I into praise our glorious God with all that we have within us, to leave nothing on the table, to leave nothing in reserve. And so uh, as we read the scriptures this morning, the, the, the praise band is going to assist us in acting out what we are literally reading this morning. Okay, this is going to be fun. We're actually going to be praising God as we read God's word this morning. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with lute and harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance. (laughs) Praise him with strings. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with sounding cymbals. Praise him with loud crashing cymbals. <laughs> Let everything, everything that, that has breath praise, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. <laughs> Thanks be Amen. to God. Let's pray. Pray with me. Great God and Father, you are awesome. You are wonderful. You rule your reign over all things. We love you, God. We've come here to offer up uh, our praise to you today. Lord, uh, speak to us today. We need to hear your word. We're misshapen. We need you to reshape us in your image and likeness. Do it through the power of your word and the power of your spirit. Lord, unfold our arms, uh, soften our hard hearts, open up our ears that we might receive your word, plant it deep within us, that it would cause us to change and bear spiritual fruit 10 times, 30 times, 60 times, 100 times. 
as you see fit. In Jesus' great name we pray, amen. You've uh, heard the expression, I'm sure, hit the high note, right? Hit the high note, that's right. Well, it means, uh, that means go out on the top of your game, go out on the top of your career, whatever that is. Uh, in, in the music world, the high note, it's the, that's the note that's near the end of a song that every other note has been building up towards. Uh, the high note, it's that note that the singer holds longer and louder and clearer than all the other notes in the song. It's the most emotional note in the song as well. It brings people to their feet, right? It brings people to tears. That, that's the high note in a song. Uh, just for an example, think about a musician that sings a star-spangled banner. There's Whitney Houston, uh, probably one of the best performances uh, of the anthem at a, at a game. Uh, th th there's this slow buildup, if you guys know, to that one line, right? Or the land of the free. And then the singer punches that when it hits the word, they hit the word free, right? They punch that note. They marshal all their strength and all their breath and all their emotion, and they just hold that one note as long as they possibly can and you guys know the music swells to a crescendo and fighter jets were overhead and cannons fire and fireworks explode and the crowd cheers and your heart soars upward why because it's being carried up on the wings of a high note and in the psalms here we've walked through wisdom so that's psalms one right we've walked through wisdom we've walked through lament and tragedy and holiness and thanksgiving but as the people of God are sent out, we are sent out on a note of praise, of victory. That's how this closes out. That's how you and I are sent out into the world. You see, this is what the psalmist is trying to get across to you and I if we would listen. Our loudest, longest, highest note of praise should be given to the Lord. So today, we're going to talk about where we praise the Lord, why we praise the Lord, and how do we go about doing this? How do we go about praising the Lord? Okay. First of all, we praise the Lord everywhere we go. Where do we praise the Lord? Where do we do this? The psalmist tells us that we do this everywhere we go. Look at the text, verse 1. It says, praise the Lord. Praise God, where? In his sanctuary, Praise him in his mighty heavens, it says. So Psalm 150 is a summary of everything that has gone before. The psalmist assumes that you and I have already read 149 other psalms. So he's not going to repeat himself. It, 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 he's given a shorthand here. You understand what I'm saying? He's given a shorthand. Uh, the, this phrase here is similar to the one that we read in the very beginning of the Bible, Genesis 1.1. Remember that? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's shorthand. That's a summary statement. It, it, it means this. God created everything. So everything up there, everything down there, everything. That's what the psalmist is kind of using here. Praise him in his sanctuary. Praise him in his highest heavens. That's shorthand for praise him everywhere. Everywhere you and I go, we should be offering a praise to the Lord most high. Our loudest, longest, highest praise of the Lord begins in his sanctuary. It's where the people of God meet to worship him on earth. For Christians, for us, our sanctuary is churches. It's 
wherever the people of God gather to meet in the name of Christ to give him the praise that he deserves. For us, it's, it's this school. We turn this school into a sanctuary because we gather in the name of Jesus to offer praise to him. But I want you to notice something. I want you to notice that what starts in the sanctuary cannot be contained by the sanctuary. Isn't that good? What starts in an earthly building carries to and fills up even the heavens. Wow. Our praise to God should be so loud, so energetically charged that it actually leaves the sanctuary. That it pours out into all creation, even the heavens. We're talking about hitting the high note of praise after all, right? So how does our praise to God pour out from this church building? from this worship gathering. Well, we talked actually about that last week a little bit, if you were here. We must see our entire life. Guys, we must see the end purpose of our life as a constant act of celebrating our Lord. Every step we take, that's every room that we enter or exit. That's every word we speak to someone, every purchase we make, every response we give should be shouting loudly, God is this good. God is this worthy. In the way that we go about doing that. Does that make sense? You guys tracking with me? We worship God when we gather so that we're equipped and energized to worship God when we scatter throughout the rest of the week. The psalmist says that God is so glorious. God has been so good to you that you should not be able to contain your praises in a private building. It should leak out in the rest of your life. You need to see every move that you make as an act of glorifying God. This, guys, just this category, this way of thinking about your life and God it revolutionizes your life. It revolutionizes, listen, even the most mundane things that you do in your week, okay? This is a big deal. That's why the psalmist makes a lot of noise about it. For example, bowing to change a diaper. Isn't that what a lot of Christians do in a worship service? They bow, bending a knee to clean a toilet. Aren't we practicing some of these things on Sundays? That become an act of praise to the Lord. Why? Because in doing these things, you are reflecting God's humility. You're reflecting God's servant heart. God got his hand into the dirt and made things and did things and cleaned things up. You guys see this? Paying those bills. Paying those bills become an act of praise now for the Christian. In doing that, you're displaying stewardship of God's resources. When you stroke that check and say, I'm going to pay off what I owe or give that to that person that needs it. You're saying, look, it all comes from God. It didn't come from me and my job. This came from God, and I'm allocating his resources. It's an act of praise. You're praising him when you do that. Completing your tasks at work is now reminiscent of how God finished all that you needed to thrive. So now you can complete your work to help others thrive. You're literally participating. It's an act of praise, guys. Engaging in conversations now has the potential, their potential opportunities to share about the hope and the peace that God has given you in Christ. We have a speaking God. We can speak about him. 
Our praise is not confined to what we practice on Sunday morning. Rather, those practices inform and energize our acts of praise all week long. Praise the Lord. So guys, listen. Here's what I'm saying. As you go throughout your day, do it mindfully instead of mindlessly. And I'm talking about the mindless rote tasks. Do even those things mindfully. In other words, notice what you're doing. And then do it as praise. Does this make sense? For example, you, do, you notice what you're doing, you say, I'm going to do it with praise. You just say this to yourself. God, I want to praise you by fill in the blank. Fill in that blank. God, I want to praise you in my drive to work now. That's it. What's that, two seconds? God, I want to praise you as I come into this restaurant and have a meal. God, I want to praise you in uh, how I entered this meeting. This is something I've been trying to practice lately. I just call it praising him in the transitions. So I have blocks of time in my day, and when I move from one block to the next, I don't just run to the next t- tick off the list. God, remind me that I'm a human and I'm not God. I'm, fr- I'm weak and frail, but you are God Almighty. I praise you for that. God, help me as I go into this meeting. Blah, blah, blah. That's it. You can praise him in the transitions, and it keeps you mindful of God throughout your day. It's active praise, guys. Just see how that one habit slowly reshapes your week. Just see how that one habit over time just reshapes your soul. Praise him everywhere you go, right? Secondly, why? Why do we give the Lord our loudest, longest, highest praise? Second, uh, we praise him for all that he is and all that he's done. All that he is and all that he has done. Verse two, praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Once again, we have another summary statement here in the psalmist. The the, the psalmist does not unpack what he means specifically because he's taken 149 psalms to do that in great detail. He assumes that you and I have already read all those. He's not going to repeat himself, okay? So he's using shorthand again. Why do we give the Lord our loudest, longest, most energetic praise everywhere we go? Why do we do that? He says, for all that he is, for all that he's done, to use modern language. His excellent greatness, that refers to God's sublime nature and his character. His mighty deeds is a phrase that refers to his great power, specifically his power that he exerted in rescuing us. Do you know who the Lord really is? I mean, do you know what he has done for you and for his people? Do you know specifically in detail what he has done for you and done for his people? If you cannot praise the Lord, if you find great resistance or difficulty in praising the Lord, it might indicate that you don't really know him. You may know the summary statement, but you don't know the specifics that that statement refers to. Just a phrase. If you need reminding of who the Lord is, read passages from the Bible. I know that sounds really cliche, but it's true. 
If you can't read the Bible, then listen to the scripture on your phone. You see, all scripture reveals to us God's character, God's nature. It's not ultimately our experience. It's the scriptures that tell us who God is. The psalmist calls us to imagine in our minds. He's, he's calling us back to all those 159 psalms. In fact, all of, all of scripture. He's telling us, call, call that back to your memory is what he's saying. The specific character of the one that you and I are praising. In Genesis and Exodus, the Lord is all-powerful, and there is no one more powerful than him. The Lord is present in all places at all times. There is no place the Lord is not already there. In the prophets, the Lord knows all things. There is nothing hidden from God and no one surprises him. In the wisdom literature, Psalms and Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, the Lord is wise and there is no one wiser. In the Gospels, he's the definition of love and rescue. In the book of Acts, he is the essence of peace himself and he is a God on a mission. In the letters that we have, he is merciful to the sinner and yet he is just to the wicked. In Revelation, he is faithful to all his promises. He is perfect in all his judgments. In all scripture, the Lord is boundless in his forgiveness. He is truthful in everything he utters. He is tireless in how he pursues us. Praise the Lord. When was the last time, brothers and sisters, that you simply meditated on the character of the God who created you? Sometimes the most, we love practical, right? Just give me practical. Just give me the quick, just the quick thing to do. And don't bother me with all the other thinking I have to do, right? But listen, guys, sometimes, sometimes the most practical thing that you and I can do is to recount and meditate on who God is, to go back over and read this and think and think and ruminate over who God is. Look, I know it does not pay off quickly, There's not a quick payoff for doing that. But when we do, it results in an explosion of confidence and praise that we can continually come back and drink from again and again and again. It's wonderful. And as Christians, we don't stop with just who God is. We are told to praise Him for what He has done in saving us. I want you to think back to all the times that the Lord has rescued you. Not like someone, you. The Lord provided for you. He answered you, showed up and showed off in your life. Think about those times. You having those times that are coming to your mind right now? It, I want to tell you, it is the Lord that has put food on our table. It is the Lord who has done that. It is the Lord who put a roof over our heads. It is the Lord who pulled us out of the depths of depression. It is the Lord that supplied joy in our sorrow. It is the Lord that defended us against our enemies. It is, that's just the everyday salvations of the Lord. That's just like the run-of-the-mill average salvations of the Lord. That alone is enough to praise Him everywhere we go, right? And give Him the highest, loudest, longest praise? But there's more. The greatest salvation from our greatest enemy came through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. See, through Christ's death and through his rising again, we have victory over sin's power in our life. 
We have victory over death's power. And we have victory over Satan and all his dark powers and traps. Because Christ's victory has been given to us by faith. By faith in Christ. Not faith in faith. By faith in Christ. Look what it says in Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 7. And you were dead. Isn't that lovely? And you were dead in, your trespa- in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world. You're following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, were carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. For by grace you've been saved, and he raised us up up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that, here's the telos, here's the purpose of all that, so that in the coming age, no, no, what does it say? Coming ages. We might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Wow. Do you know who sings the high note in a crowd of singers? Do you know who sings the absolute high note in a crowd? I'll tell you who does. It's the one who was dead and had no more breath in them. And then they were brought back to life by the breath of another. That person's glad to be alive, amen? Amen. That's the one who sings the loudest and the longest and the highest note. And that is what Christ the Lord has done for us. That is the mightiest of all his mighty deeds. He has saved us from death. He's made us alive to God. We actually like God now. Christ has given us eternal life in resurrected bodies that will be reunited with our true family in a renewed creation forever and ever, from ages and ages and ages to come. That is the good news of Jesus Christ. He has worked all of that for us who have had put our true trust and faith in him. So praise him with all your energy and emotion for who he is and what he has done. Praise the Lord. How? How do we give God this loudest, our longest, and highest praise. How do we go about doing that? Well, thirdly, we praise him with every possible instrument. I love this part. I can't wait to get into this, guys. We praise him with every possible instrument. Look at verses three through five, this little group. It says, praise him with the trumpet sound. Praise him with the lute and harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance. So that's, that's moving your body, right? 
Praise him with strings and pipes. Praise him with sounding cymbals. Praise him with loud crashing cymbals. Every possible instrument group or instrument category is being enlisted to praise the Lord with all their might. So when you take all these instruments together, you take them together as a group, you get this picture in your mind. You get a picture of like this big, huge marching band, like this marching orchestra, right? Woodwind, strings, percussion, voices, choreography, they're all playing together until they reach the loud crescendo that rattles the neighbor's windows. That's what's happening here. What do instruments do? They amplify sound and melody, do they not? They're amplifiers. Instruments take what is on the inside and they put it on the outside. That's what they do. They take what is inaudible and they make it audible so people know it exists. Instruments are not the song, but they make it possible for the song to be heard by everyone. Are you guys tracking with me? They amplify the volume, they organize notes, and they carry the song out to the masses, to the people. So without instruments, you very well may have a song in your heart, but no one will know it. And no one will be able to enjoy it with you and join in with you in that wonderful song. We need instruments, right? So the way that we hit the high note of praise, in other words, the way that we give God alone our loudest, longest, highest praise, according to the psalmist, is by using every single instrument that's at our disposal. He's saying, look, grab it and use it. So the picture the psalmist paints here is is like a group of Sounder fans headed out for a game. That's really what he's describing here, in a sense. Some of you guys are fans, and you know what these fans are like. They're crazy, right? They start out in the square, right? But they don't stay in the square, do they? They have a public procession through the streets of Seattle. They even have Levites who lead the procession in song, right? They wear appropriate garments of green and blue. They carry banners declaring their allegiance. They sing praise songs about their team. I've read the lyrics of some of those songs. They praise their team. They get to the stadium and it doesn't end there. You think it's over, not for Sounders fans, Uh uh-uh. They get there, and there's horns playing, drummers drumming, people dancing, singers singing, all about the glory of the Sounders. It is a full sensory experience to go to that game. They're using every instrument available, including their bodies, to praise the team. That's exactly what the psalmist is calling all of us as believers to do to God Use our entire body as an instrument to praise the Lord. Your body, listen guys, your body is the greatest instrument that you have to give God the greatest praise on earth. Let me say that again. Your body is the greatest instrument you have to give God the greatest praise on earth. See, Paul says this, he unpacks it a little bit for us about our physical bodies in Romans 6.13. Check this out. He says, do not present your members, he's talking about body parts. Do not present your members, your body parts, to sin as what? Instruments. Isn't that an interesting word? 
Do not present your body parts to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. Rather, present yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life, as those who claim to believe the gospel, you claim to accept the gospel. Show that's true. Prove it. Act in alignment with who you are, he's saying. And your members to God as instruments for righteousness. God gave you and I bodies for the express purpose of using them as instruments for his praise everywhere we go. That is their telos, their end goal. So you need to think about your body in that way according to what God says. Think about your hands like loud trumpets. What you do with your hand is trumpeting something about God. Your feet are booming drums. Your skin is clashing cymbals. The question should be, are you using the members of your body as instruments that praise the Lord or someone else? How are you using your body? Who are you praising? Or what are you praising with your body? Look at 1 Corinthians 6.19. Paul says, or do you not know that your body... See, Christianity is a very embodied religion. Have you guys figured that out yet? It is practical. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you whom you have from God? You are not your own. Why? For you are brought with a price. See how the gospel is weaved into all of this? So what? So what that I'm not my own and I've been bought with a price? So what? So glorify God where? In your body. God cares about what you do and I do in our body. We are to use our entire body as an instrument that tells the world that Christ is better than anything. That's what we trumpet, right? What we do with our body, what we do to our body, what we put in our body, remove from our body, that all matters to God who made our body. It matters because our many-membered bodies are the ultimate instrument used to praise him forevermore. They take our song of praise on the inside and they put it on the outside. Paul says that the reason that we should think of our bodies as instruments of God expression instead of self-expression is because Christ saved our bodies and not more than that. He actually lives, somehow he lives in our body. In fact, he's made our body a temple of worship to God by letting, get this, his body be violated by letting his body be destroyed that's why we don't let uh, that's why we don't destroy our bodies and do it use it to do things that it ought not to do he did it his body that was those things were done to his body that ought never to be done to a human body right that's why we live the way that we live his hands his feet were not able to hold or walk like they should why because they were nailed to a tree They couldn't do what they were intended to do. He did that for you and me. Is this making sense, guys? His head was covered in sweat and blood because of thorns. His mouth became dehydrated, barely able to speak. His ears, Christ's ears were filled with curses. Christ's ears was filled with sarcasm. 
Are you guys seeing how great the gospel is? Every literal member of Christ's body was used to bear our shame and bear our sin. Not a tissue was left untouched. And why? So that every member of our body could be used to praise his glorious name. Brothers and sisters, this week, let's, let's think about this this way. How can I use my hands in a way that serves God? Or maybe how can I earn money in a way that declares Christ is worth more than this money I'm earning? Or how can I type my emails in a way that communicates the love and truth of God, the God that I say I know? How can I enjoy my family in such a way that points my family to their true source of love and security and joy, which is not me? Christ used his entire body to rescue us and glorify his Father so that you and I, so that we could use our entire body everywhere we go to trumpet his glory and his worth. Will you do that this week? Isn't he worthy? I love you guys. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we love you. We thank you that you came in a body. I, I, I just thank you for the doctrine of the incarnation. I'm so glad you didn't come as a, just a spirit or some kind of a principle, but you came in a body to rescue our bodies, to show us how to live in them, to show us what they're there for and how to use them and what they're supposed to do. Lord, you're, you're, you're worthy of all glory. You're worthy of all praise, our loudest, longest, highest praise. But I pray that as we absorb the gospel today, um, that it would get into us. I pray by the Holy Spirit, you take this word, you bury it deep into our hearts, but not to high, but that it would come out later in fruits of righteousness, in fruits of righteousness. So go with us today. We thank you for all that you've done for us. Help us thank you and praise you today and throughout the week. Let it be a song of praise to you. In Jesus' good name we pray, amen.